It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi there, I'm Brian Abana, and you're listening to the Mall Over Cotpost. Hello, good evening and welcome to this week's Mall Over podcast. The only rugby podcast gives you the news, views and opinion on the weekend's rugby action or with a West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Mall Over Podcast. We are Mall Over Rugby Podcast on Facebook. And you can find all of our podcasts on Anchor and Apple Pods and lots of other decent podcatchers. Uh, thank you for all the feedback last week that the Lensman and I had on our uh, Andy Dalton line or what we call the Jacob Umaga line. It was really positive. Hopefully we'll do some more in the off season with uh, Phil and Ben involved and we'll we'll come up with our own rankings for some other positions. But thanks for all those of you that got in touch about that. Uh, this week I'm joined by the Lensman again. Now then. Now then. Uh, also by the nicest man in Cornish Rugby podcasting, Ben Eustace. That's me. And uh, the Housewives' favourite... Uh, former farm vet, but still technically a qualified farm vet. Phil Farm Vet, how you doing, Phil? I'm very well, thank you, Russell. Good. Nice to have you back, gentlemen, from your little hiatus. Um, mm. It was Doug and I's ch- uh, chance to keep the ship afloat last week while you two uh, gallivanted around doing whatever it is you were doing. Life gets in the way sometimes, doesn't it, when you do this as a uh, without it being your main source of income, or indeed any source of income. Any source of income. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to go all Desiree then for a second. But uh, yeah, all right. Well, um, welcome back. It's uh, it's nice to have you back, and we've got lots of things in the pipeline. But we barely talked about any real rugby last week. We did spend a lot of time talking about the women's final, which was excellent. Um, so let's talk about the premiership this weekend as the race for... The top four uh, home semi-finalists hotted up. Uh, Sale and Exeter will do battle next week. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more in a while. Um, the Lensman spent most of his weekend travelling around uh, rugby stadia across the country and started on a Friday night as Sale picked up a comprehensive victory over what is basically a quince. Uh, 
second team. Um, were you were you surprised by the fact that Quinn's basically picked a second team, rested Don Brandt and Smith and Care, Doug? No, no. No. They had the chance of they had the chance of getting a, a semi final against Exeter or potentially against Exeter or maybe even working themselves a home semi final, but they've decided that fourth is good enough and uh, we'll we'll take our chances. Yeah, but if you'd have given them fourth at the beginning of the year, they'd have taken it, right? So I think why if you'd given them risk, given them fourth at the beginning of February, they would have taken it. Yeah. Um, uh, no, the nothing. thing is, you got you you got to look at it and say. What have they got to win by going all out? The the reality is they were never going to get a home semi final, so it's it's a toss up between do they want to play Bristol or do they want to play Sale? And I think they probably would want to play Bristol a bit more, a bit more open, more opportunities than you would get against Sale. Um, and also, they because because a lot of their players haven't been uh, sucked into the Six Nations camps. They've played a hell of a lot of games and actually giving them an opportunity to have a week off some of these guys knowing that they've got three games max left two games two to three games left now i i think it's exactly the right sensible thing to do but given given that they've not traveled to to sale last week you know what are the chances that they're actually going to play those guys this week at home to um where are they home to newcastle the argument, the likelihood well, is they're not. Who's who's gonna who's likely to break Marcus Smith more? The players that Newcastle have got, or a bunch of massive South Africans. Um, I think I, I don't know. I think it's a it's a bit of a calculated risk to give him a, a, a week off then, when he's probably going to be targeted and get hit pretty bloody hard. Don Brandt, you know, is going to have a tough old game. Give them a week off and then they come again hard for two weeks. I, I think they'll play this week. I think they'll play effectively the closest they can get to a first 15 against Newcastle and use it as a, as a bit of a semi-trial game, warm-up game for the um, semi-finals. And that's not Phil, trying Phil. to be disrespectful. Yeah. Stop fiddling with your microphone, mate. Sorry. <laughs> I um, can hear every single knock on that. Every way. single little turn of the thread. <laughs> yeah. And that's uh that's just not move trying it slightly to be... further away from your mouth because you're popping. There you go. It's like a, <laughs> Sorry, it's like mate. A um and that's not trying to be disrespectful to Newcastle. Well, I, I disagree. I think Quinn's probably won't play their big guns this weekend. Newcastle have still got the chance for a, a um an eighth spot and a Champions Cup for next season. Whether that's a good thing for Newcastle or not is remains to be seen. But I'm more I'm more thinking about like for Harlequins, a playoff spot. You'd want to play a playoff spot, or you'd want a, a chance at a playoff spot where you you're going to get the best matchup. So are we saying that Harlequins have looked at it and gone? Right, well, do we want to go to Sandy Park? Because it's likely that it's going to be Exeter and Bristol. Now Bristol have confirmed the home semi-final. Is it likely that Quinn's have just gone, you know what, we fancy Bristol at Ashton Gate more than we fancy Exeter at Sandy Park, Doug? I think Quinn's just wanted to rest their players. I think they'll put out a a weak side 
tomorrow. Uh, sorry, Saturday. Um, I think let's try not to overthink this. It, it was a. It's not our gonna, strong Going to be a brutal game, and why risk it? You, 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 you fixed. You don't need to do it. I mean, the only reason that um, Sale put out a lineup is because of um, Sanderson's ego. Yeah, and they yeah. had they had to kill they had to kill Quinns off as well, right? They they had to secure. Why? Oh, I suppose there's a bit more on the line for them, I guess. But you know, I just think their coach is a bit naive in in playing those players. I think you could have got away with picking half those players and 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 probably still winning i think there's a an element to it of um wanting to he's got a bit of a run winning run going but you look at the results and the the team since they got pumped by la rochelle they've beaten gloucester and worcester well they squeaked past worcester they squeaked past gloucester they did a job on leicester and they squeaked past bath so admittedly they did beat bristol but my concern for them is that you've got you or you've had a consistent team running for quite a while and now you've got Tuolangi and Van Rensburg coming back just at the time when you're supposed to be going into a premiership semi-final. Um, I would probably argue that they shouldn't be in the team, but... I think if they lose without him in the team, that's too much of a problem for Sanders, and he probably won't. That probably won't um, wash. I think that balance in the midfield, where they had Sam Hill and um, Sam James, Sam James, um, should be given the opportunity to go and play in these semi-finals, but I don't think they will. Look, I think the extra game. One of those teams is going to come out of there with a key player missing. Fingers crossed it's sale because I don't like Alex Hansen. <laughs> ben, Ben, what do you think? Um, well, I, the last time I saw Harlequins was against Bath. And if they defend like they did against Bath, it doesn't matter who they're playing. They're going to get punked. Um, I think I agree with Doug that it's not really too much to think about. I think thinking about who you're going to play in the semi-final based on results that are still to come is, is just too much of a hostage to fortune. I think they're just resting some players. They, you know, they don't want them run over by big guys. And, you know, it's a long bus trip as well. So, you know, are they just giving we, them a week off? We always have... We always get to this point in the season, two to three games out from the end, uh, where players, teams... It goes against this argument that we don't need relegation, but the teams that aren't really playing for anything don't stick out a full 15. The teams that are already secured in a home semi or know they're going to finish third or fourth rest a few of their players. And quality of the rugby takes a bit of a knock, um, but it yeah, it happens to all sides. I, I reckon you could go through pretty much every one of those sides apart from Sale, and you could think of three or four different players who could have been playing who weren't playing for whatever reason. Yeah, I think it's just like have have a have a week off this week and then you've got two weeks and you're going to have to play the game of your life, you know, or two games and you're going to have to play the game of your life because 
Quinns are good in attack, which gives them a puncher's chance. But Bristol probably have got an even more dynamic attack, and Exeter are just better. And they're going to, you know, with any team, they'll probably soak that up the best. So, you know, they, they really are going to have to just put in a 10 out of 10 performance, whoever they're playing. Okay. Well, with that in mind, then, Sale go to Sandy Park this weekend, five points behind Exeter. What what does Sale do? Does Sale, does Sanderson and his ego go there and say, well, let's try and win and take them back to the AJ Bell the week after, knowing that all Exeter need is one bonus point in the game? So Sale could legitimately put everything they have into that game. Exeter rest a few players and still come away with a bonus point and, and Sale find themselves in a sticky situation. Or... Do we see Sale going, well, you know, let's ma- let's just mail it in and we'll go back to Sandy Park with everybody fit the week after and, and give it our best shot? I don't think so. Can, can Sale like actually that. end up? Yes. By virtue of matches one. It's not on points right. difference, apparently. It's on matches one. I also don't, I, but I don't think Sanderson's wired like that. I think he'll... Um... He'll go there with his first choice team because he won't want to just mail it in. Yeah, I think so. And and you you don't want to be getting pumped and then having to play the same team the following week. Exactly. I think there'll be. I could almost see. So extra extra only need one point, right, to get second. Yeah, they only need a solitary point, be that a losing bonus point or a try bonus point or a win, obviously. Well, look, I I think there's an argument to say that Exeter will probably field a strong team because they'll want that point. They'll want to make sure they get that point. Um, what team Sale put out? I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Van Rensburg and maybe Tuolangi starting this game on the understanding that that's probably not going to be, or at least one of them's not going to play in the in the game the following week. So, look, I think it's going to be a, a, a really just think it's going to be a, a, a bruising game and, and, and people are going to get mashed up. Um, and I don't think it's going to be good enough for either. I could, you could almost see Baxter going, do you know what? Fuck this. Whoever, whoever, whatever happens after this game, we're just going to go wherever we need to go. And we're going to absolutely annihilate whoever we play. Yeah, well, there, there's only, the only outcome is, Either at home or away against Sale, isn't it? That's all that can happen. So yeah. there's there's a potential psychological argument there for Baxter in that in the same when they played Bristol back in January, where he stuck out. It'd be disrespectful to call it a second team, but it's there's probably ten changes from a first team, if not twelve or thirteen changes from a from a first team, and go. That's all right. You can win the game. It doesn't really matter. Next week, we'll bring our actual team and, and kick your butts with them. Yeah. And the thing with Sale potentially going for this uh, for this second place, Exeter don't need to, in NFL terms, Exeter are in a position where they only need to use half their playbook, whereas Sale are going to throw the kitchen sink at it. So in terms of preparing for the following week, you're going to have everything Sale have got on film. Yeah. And and that can only benefit Exeter because I don't think Exeter will... I think they've been there and done it enough that they, they'll probably think we can just 
I think the thing is with sales playbook, playbook though, in for want of a better phrase, is it's that in Afrikaans. It's, <laughs> that, that's absolute fact. But the thing is, you know, it's not difficult to understand, is it? They are monumentally well, big. They are powerful, and they and they like to use use that power. And then when the time is right, they've got McGuigan and. Dick Fingers Yard, and you know they don't counterattack big, really. Sale, they, they they're not going to come from. They're not going to come at you from deep. They're going to get some territory, and and that's where them and their, their game plan and Exeter's game plan are, are very similar. Except Exeter have a little bit more flexibility and probably a little bit more dynamism. Dynamism. So, you know, it 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 is. A matchup to end all matchups, isn't it? And I hope that they both put strong sides out and both try and, and go for that second place because it's going to be an excellent game. The one thing I've noticed is there's a definite Saracens lilt to what they're doing. Yeah, You're not seeing Faf make many rogue breaks anymore. You're seeing him put up a lot of box kicks. You know, he's like a long-haired Wigglesworth. Um <laughs> Their line speed is suspiciously close to offside all the time, um, and they're forcing the they're forcing the ten to pass inside rather than through the hands. So the one thing Exeter know is how to play against that because they've been doing it for five years, um, and if that if the same. If they play as they did against Exeter on Friday, I can see Joe Simmons picking them apart because, I mean, there are a couple of occasions where they they left huge doglegs in their defensive line and a a 10 making his debut scored a try by just spotting one and running through it. So what the the Exeter system is going to do with that, anyone is anyone's guess. they, They could... They could should say or not have some kind of wrinkle uh take them to the cleaners yeah they there's you know, i say an easy way you think you think it would be easy wouldn't you but they do exeter do it as well but sale do do that wide wrap don't they the yeah. the outside center does rush quite extreme to cut i don't off. Th- i don't think exeter do do it i think they just rely on dominant two-man collisions at the at the gain line and and they don't necessarily rush in the same way that saracens or um sale do they they hit you on the gain line and drive you back rather than meeting you 10 yards behind the breakdown the the only slight difference is when devoto plays he's usually three or four yards ahead of the rest of the line but it's not it's not that real hard outside press that some of the other teams are, are doing um but I think you're right, Doug. Where those gaps are, um, and I didn't see Sale play this week. I saw them play Bristol, and I thought they were absolutely excellent at what they did. But even then, there were spaces, um, and there were spaces that could be, that could be, uh, um, uh, oh, what's the word I'm thinking of? That the Exeter could take advantage of. Um, that's the one exploited that could be exploited. Um, and with Joe Simmons, Henry Slade, Stuart Hogg, you've got players who will take, and O'Flaherty, you've got players who will take advantage of those spaces when they're there. Um, 
in a way that I think Bristol struggled to do, probably because they didn't have the experience um, or the quality at 10. Well, um, but I think you're right, Joe Simmons will... He'll find those holes and he'll pick them eventually. I think what I think what Sale did to Bristol and was partly Bristol's own the Bristol's own game plan where Sheedy played quite flat to the line and Sale were able to get at Sheedy, which mm. meant that he couldn't play. Whereas Exeter do tend to hold that little bit more depth, and if Sale do wrap, that will allow. Simmons and Slade and Devoto to a certain extent, if they play, if they all three of those play, they're all ball players that are able to kick. And I think if they see that space, that part they will they will kick in behind and try and turn sail. Oh, and, and they're gonna they're gonna go yeah. after Exeter at the breakdown, aren't they? Abs- absolutely. Well, I mean, we can we can move on to we can move on to the Exeter Saints now and then we'll we'll go back to the Saturday games afterwards. Because you know, what was clear to see is in that Northampton game yesterday, Doug, I know you were there, and as a Saints fan, that first half, Northampton were literally all over Exeter at the breakdown. And I'm not, I said it yesterday in the in the group chat, I'm not going to go too hard into it now, but I thought Maxwell Keyes, at times, his refereeing at the breakdown was phenomenally bad. Um, but... Exeter do tend to and have had quite a bit of a rub of the breakdown referee in over the period of the last three, four, five years. So you can't really complain too much about that. Um, there was some chat about the uh, the Rave Ribbons red card, which, you know, in this day and age is always going to be a red card. Any any complaints about that? Well, I've got loads of complaints. Go on then. Well, it just shouldn't, in my opinion, it shouldn't be a red card. It's um, it's this bullshit. I just don't. Well, the, law, the the law the law is bullshit, which gives the referee nowhere to to go, allegedly. Um, but by the way that some of the the red cards are being dished out this season, there is no way that that wasn't going to be a red card, no. was there? No, but. The issue I have, we we don't really need to go through this because we have this fucking discussion every week and it bores the piss out of me. It, it's not so much the fact that an act of violence is getting somebody sent off. It's a microsecond of misjudgment that is killing a team's chances in a game. And And when you see... When, when you see a lot of those collisions that happen where a shoulder hits a chin, you think, why aren't we reviewing every one of these? Yeah. It, it just... It, one day I'm going to go through a premiership match and I'm going to cut every single contact with a head and ask why it's not reviewed. You, you just got to look at rucks. Somebody goes into a ruck and a knee hits a head or a, you know, a hip hits a head. Why is that not reckless? But somebody making a genuine attempt to tackle someone with correct technique, a bleat slightly high is a red card. Why is a knee, knee in the head in a ruck not a red card? Because it's equally reckless. You shouldn't be putting your knee near a head in the same way that you shouldn't be putting a shoulder near a chin. 
You shouldn't be putting your head near a knee. So, so if we, if you, if you'd have said that after the Aki red card in the Ireland England Six Nations game, I'd say yeah, fair enough. Because I think Aki's technique was fine. He just got the height a little bit wrong. Dave Ribbons' shoulder was never anywhere below Karen Dickey's head height. Um, Dave he Ribbons is and eight inches taller than Luke Karen Dickey. Then, then he needs to bend at the waist, and he would he would have been needed. But then to there bend was a penalty given from, against Karen Dickey in the second since, half because he didn't wrap when he got he hit he went as low as he could go. His shoulder bounced off a pl- off the player's legs, and he was pinged for no arms. He can't win, even when he yeah. It, it's a difficult situation. You, 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 can, you can win. You can win. You can be Dave, technically Dave, perfect. Dave Ribbons would have, but Dave Ribbons would have had to have bent for a tackle since he was probably nine, because he's probably always been the tallest player, and he was dead straight upright. Now, in my mind. If if I decided what the laws were, that would be a yellow card because it's clumsy and reckless. It wouldn't be a red card. But the laws are what the laws are, and it would have been a red card. What really pissed me off about the incident was the fact that Karen Dickey, as soon as he went down, he started holding his nose and pointing to his head. Yeah. And it's a it's a it's a horrible part of the game that's come in over the last probably month or so, started to see more of it. Whenever there's anything vaguely brushing a face players are going down and starting to act like footballers looking well, for Willis that red did card. It in the in the wasps game as well yeah yeah for the um was it hepatema disgrace yes it's yeah. just yeah. pathetic and look my my issue isn't that it needs you know i don't think it needs to be taken out of the game i think it's a it's an utter nonsense that it's even discussed um I don't know if you watched the MotoGP. You probably didn't watch the MotoGP. I don't know why I'm asking that. But Fabio Quartararo, the championship leader, they wear they they have to wear a chest plate uh, underneath their levers. And about ten laps from the end, he was having a bit of discomfort from this chest plate, so he took his levers down, unzipped his levers, and threw his chest plate out, and then couldn't get his levers done up again. So he rode for 10 laps on a motorbike doing 230 miles an hour with literally no protection. If he had come off, he'd have just been, there would have just been Fabio skin 400 yards down a piece of tarmac. That's unsafe. And that shouldn't have happened. And that should be stopped. What Dave Ribbons did was slightly missed time a tackle and wasn't technically perfect in a game that literally millimeters can separate perfection from being dismissed out of the game and that is fundamentally not fair and it if a fly half throws a hospital pass that's reckless and dangerous because the bloke that catches it is going to get cleaned up and might break ribs why is that not an act of recklessness he's not going to get sent off for throwing a ship pass that got his mate decapitated is he but it's the same it's the same concept. It's this one thing's okay and one thing's not because we've arbitrarily decided that if you accidentally hit someone's chin, you've got to be sent off to appease who? And it's people who it's don't fucking matter. RFU, that's who. 
the RFU are petrified about, and the IRB as well are petrified about legal cases. And so just say the that then. What, what, where's why is what's and, the reticence to come out and just say so, we're petrified of legal cases? At least be honest with your fans. Be honest with the people that pay the bills. Um, I mean, the easiest way to do it, and I've said this but, before, is to get them to sign a fucking waiver. When you sign your contract, you sign a waiver that says you cannot come back to us if you get fucking CTE or whatever in thirty years' time. You under this under the terms of this contract, you cannot you cannot sue us because of that because you were into enter into this contract with full knowledge of of what the risks are, and that way. And I'm sure similar similar things happen in other trades. There'll be there'll be people clearing out asbestos who will sign things to say they won't sue if they get asbestosis because they've been given appropriate PPE um, and the company's done everything it needs to do. My as where there's a big difference between what ribbons did, which was poor tackle technique, um, and some of the tackles that you see, or say, um, okay, so you've got three, three things. You've got Sonny Bill Williams, what he did in the lines, where he deliberately led with a shoulder, and then Watson was dropping into it. You've got Dave Ribbons, who has who had poor technique and got at the wrong height. And you've got people who go out there to deliberately to try and but make you it can, a high you can hit on see it. You can see it and in the replay. To me, like, to me, they're very This whole thing with force. And they need, yeah. to be, they need to be treated very differently. To me, and, that's I, I would have no issues with that kind of tackle being a yellow card yeah. and going, look, we know we need to protect chins, heads, whatever. If you do something and... There's no, it's not clearly intended that you're trying to take the guy's head off. We're going to send you to the bin, and that's going to be enough of a deterrent to stop people doing it. It's like the you've seen it with the deliberate knock, deliberate knock-ons. People lead with one hand and they knock the ball on, and they get a yellow card. So now people don't go for the intercepts. There's no, there's going to be no difference in deterrent effect between the yellow and the red card. Let's punish things appropriately for what they are. If you try, if you go and you try to decapitate somebody, you should get a red card. If you miss time attack and you get it wrong and it's it, and it's a bit dangerous, you should be punished for it. But I don't think a red card is an appropriate punishment. So, but given the commentary, rules, ribbons had they, to go. They were talking about how. Oh well, the outcome of that is. I, I think it was in the Irish game that Willis was knocked out. And Austin Healy was at pains to point out that he'd been knocked out. And because of that, it's a high degree of danger. Well, it just might be that, that Tom Willis has a, has a glass jaw and gets knocked out at the yeah. slightest touch. George, George North, Jellyhead. Exactly. Like the outcome, refereeing on outcome is fundamentally wrong. Also, if he got knocked out, how did he well, get? Back? How did Tom Willis exactly. get back? Hold on, exactly. Phil. Hold on, Phil. If Tom Willis got knocked out, how did he get back up and score three well, tries they, without they a head did make assessment? That point. They did make that point. At so, the time. But, but go on. Sorry. My my point is we've we've all seen Doug, we've all seen Phil knocked out. Phil, let Doug get his point in. My point is that. It's a high-speed game, and and accidents happen. And what we're doing to this game at the moment is making it fundamentally unwatchable because it's becoming more about the dialogue with the referees and TMOs now. Like, 
we don't need to have like we we all saw the tackle. We don't need to have a five minute debate about it. If Maxwell Keys has got any balls, just send him off. If it was a red card, we all know it was, we all know what it was. We all know by the letter of the law it's a red card. We didn't need to go through that process. Halves of rugby are taking over an hour now. Yeah. The last ten minutes of the London Irish game took nearly nearly half an hour. Yeah. Because of all the stoppages. It, it's just Anyway, let's get let's get off of well, this. Let's get off no, of Phil this. was going to say something, and we've all, we've been talking over each other. We need to stop doing that. No, no I was just I was just going to back up your point, Doug. In terms of refereeing over outcomes, is bonkers. We've all seen tackles at waist high, thigh high, where the guy ends up getting knocked out because on his way down he hits a knee or the ground's hard and he hits his head. So yeah, you're right. Refereeing on outcomes is an absolute joke. You've got to referee on inputs. Ben. Um... I'm hopping mad and I want something in the middle. Um, (laughs) Yeah, love it. I think I'm almost with Doug without the sort of callous disregard for safety. Um, (laughs) So I agree with pretty much everything he said. But what I think, I think that needs to be, I've said this a hundred times, so it's probably boring everyone to tears. I think the refereeing of the high tackles is cosmetic. And I think, they need to lower the amount of games and they really need to nail down what happens to a player after he bangs his head. Because at the end of the day, if you bang your head on someone's shoulder or you bang your head on someone's knee, it's the same effect. So, and, and the problem I think that these players that have, ha- that have got these genuine problems from like the late 90s and the early 2000s isn't that the game was like the Wild West because it had already cleaned up from what it was in the 80s and 70s, but it was because the medical teams hadn't caught up with concussions, so they were just sending them back on, you know, how many things am I holding up, go back on. So I think if, but but I think it's difficult for the game to prove that their post-match protocols and their staying out of games for a certain amount of weeks is is it, that they're changing it, whereas they can easily just show people, look what we're doing. We're, we're red carding everyone who makes a mistake with a tackle. And I do think a red card for a genuine mistake isn't fair. My, my, my larger point, and one I think really needs to be looked at, is why when somebody gets sparked in a ruck because someone's knee has hit them, that's not a red card. Because that's seen as an accident. Rugby incident. Like I say, when a fly half throws a pass that a centre has to reach up for, he gets drilled and breaks three ribs. That's not a safety issue. Why isn't it? Because the fly half has done something that has directly endangered another player. It's a skill issue, much like a mistimed tackle is a skills issue. It's no less reckless because a professional fly half should be able to put the ball in the right place where a player doesn't get injured in the tackle. My, my overriding point of all this is even with all of these red cards that we're seeing, it's still happening. Yeah, it's makes been you three ask, years, at which, least three years of this which, we've, we've been, been watching. Which makes you ask the question, are they trying to stop something that in the heat of the battle literally cannot be stopped? It's, it is... It's one of those split second things having you know, we've all played rugby, not at any sort of level, but we've all played and these things happen. It's split second. It's silly, you know. Let let's get on with it. Not every 
issue to the head is a red is a red card. Like anyway, right? Let's anyway. I want to move off of this now because we spent too long on it. What I wanted to talk about is how good Northampton were for forty minutes of rugby. Um, Courtney Laws was unbelievable, and. Do you think any of you that he could be transitioning to more of a better six than a lock? Then, no. Although I didn't see the game, but no, because he's a really good lock. Okay, that's fair enough. Phil, um, uh, yeah, I agree with Ben. That's the long and short of it. Um. <sighs> He is one of the more mobile locks, one of the better locks around the field. Um, he plays that role very well and with a more of a tight headlock um, type position alongside him. Uh, you end up with a really good balance. Um, so, no, I, I would rather see him in the row, to be honest. Doug, what do you think? I, I think as a lock, he's probably now that Cruz has gone, he's probably the second best lock in the country. I think as a six, he's probably the eighth or ninth best six in the country. So just yeah. the, the but as a pure six, he's probably eighth or ninth. But when you look at the larger picture and what having him as a six gives you in terms of an extra line out jumper, um a bit more of a a bit more of a seasoned scrummager. I think potential and and the the hit power obviously is tackling. Um, he, he then must... it probably bumps him up slightly ahead of players who are better out and out sixes. I think the yeah. overall package, the fact that he can do both roles in one position, probably is why he plays a lot of six. Yeah. I thought he was phenomenal for that first half yesterday. He he hit Cowan Dickey at one point and nearly sent him to somewhere else nearby Northampton. Um, yeah. Go on. No, no, I was just, uh, I think the problem Saints have is that, that that kind of performance happens for 45 minutes pretty much every week. Um, and then they run out of gas. Yeah. I mean, bigger, bigger ran the show. They were turning the ball over. There was a one point in the first half where where Exeter had had five visits into the twenty-two and come away with zero points. Northampton kept turning them over. Laws, um, uh, Proctor did it once. Rotuna Urawa was excellent as well. Proctor's but... a quality player. I, he ever since he came, when we had him and um, I think that when we have him and. Um, Francis in the centres, we look a completely different team. Um, I, I wish we hadn't. I wish Rob, uh, what's his, the Aussie guy that did oh, his arm? The, yeah, yeah. I, I wish we still had him because he was fantastic. Him and Simmons together would have been a great combo. But him and him and uh, Francis are a great combo. It's been uh, a while since we've had really good centres. Yeah. Um, but Proctor's played sort of all across the back line. He's played a bit on the wing, isn't it? As yeah. well. And, and, yeah, he, and he's strong, he's powerful, he's he's quick, and he always seems to put a shift in. But they they just seemed so up for it in that first half. And it was yeah. it, look, we had the the difference. I think was that um, Naravoro just disappeared. Bigger got injured. 
Um, he got injured fairly early on in the second half, and I think he played through it a bit. Cause, probably because he thought I need to be on the field here, or we're going to we're going to flush this down the shitter. Um, and the forwards just sort of went off the boil a bit. And what I think ultimately cost Saints that game was that Maxwell Keys just completely decided to change the way he was refereeing the game. Well, it was it was completely a, a, a refereeing performance of two halves because in the first half he was pinging Exeter for all sorts and letting Northampton get away with. At least three. There was a turnover right at the end of the first half where Exeter had the ball to what they were nearly on the Saints line. The ball was on the floor for what seemed like ages. And then all of a sudden, the ball just appeared on the Northampton side and everybody was on the floor. Like there's no way that ball could have come back on the Northampton side had they not been. Was it a Laws turnover just inside the Northampton 22? in front of the posts. It, yeah, it was it was the last play before before half time and then yeah, they mate. kicked it out. Laws had that ball and was held in by the extra guy on the ground and then he was released by the I know because I was I shot it. He was released by the extra guy and then spun round and then an extra player came over the top and latched the ball. Right. And that's why it looked like it was on the floor for ages because Maxwell Keys let the extra player do that for about 5 seconds and then told him to release it. Okay. And then it just popped back on the Saints side because the ball, that was the first time the ball was released in the oh. hole. I'm, I'm glad to explain that because nobody showed that because it was a turnover. They kicked the ball out and that was it, yeah. halftime. Um, but you're right in what you say. When when Maxwell Keys completely shifted 180 in the way that he was refereeing the breakdown, he then started penalising Northampton for stuff that he was letting them get away with in the first half and similarly letting Exeter get away with stuff that he was pinging them for in the first half. It yeah, was so it was a really strange performance. performance. Like referees the scrum, it is literally the Maxwell Keys bingo ball, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they may as well not bother. They may as well like, you know, uh, scrum, scrum penalties. I've not said this before. Scrum penalties are an absolute joke. You may as well, uh, you should just give free kicks now because it's a guess. If so the scrum, what, scrum goes down free kick, stop stop it being used as, as a proper lottery attack. Well, if, if they did what they were meant to do and, and hooked the ball back and got it to the back of the scrum and used it, there wouldn't be any penalties. Well, how many how many scrums are there where the ball's at the back for five minutes? The scrum doesn't go anywhere. One of the props drops for no apparent reason are penalty. Use the fucking ball. It's at the back of the scrum. Phil, explain it, please, because I've never been in the scrum and have no desire to. <laughs> So you got you got two different types of scrum penalties. You've got the ones that piss you guys off where nobody moves and somebody goes to deck and the ref picks a side. He decides either one person's hinged, so bent more at the waist, shoulders go below hips, and that drops it, or the other person has um not supported their own body weight and their legs have got they got too long, their feet are too far behind them and they drop down. And that is a total lottery because both of them do both things at the same time or you've got the type type of scrum penalty where the ball's won with the hook and that scrum is pushing the other scrum backwards to the point where somebody breaks their bind or somebody stands up or somebody starts boring in at a different angle and uh, that that's caused by dominance and and strength and technique um and i think if you take that away from it we may as well just play rugby league yeah so what i'd say about that is why 
Why is being dominant? In, why is a team that gets dominated in a scrum? Why is that a penalty? Because if you drive over the top of the opposing pack, you've got eight blokes that are underneath your eight blokes. That's advantage enough, surely. Why does that need to then become because, a stoppage? And because most of the time they're not. It's not eight blokes underneath the other eight blokes. Most of the time, it's the back row break their binds, the loose head prop comes out, and all of a sudden you've got four people not in a bound position who are actually more free to then go and run across the the field and do other bits and pieces. Yeah, well, um, and I it's think... also it's also it's also the same as pulling a pulling a um a maul down. If you if you if you just think of a scrum in the same way as a maul, if you've got a dominant maul that's moving forwards with the ball under control and the other team drag it down to the ground, everybody would call that a penalty. And it's exactly the same in the scrum. If you're moving forwards with the ball under control and you've gone five, six, seven, eight meters forwards, and the only way the opposition stop that is by breaking the rules, they should be penalised for that. It. That I 100% get. If you are literally walking over and a scrum's going backward, you are walking over them and, and it's like pulling down a more. I get it. What I fundamentally disagree with is the fact that the, the scrum should be a way, the scrum should be a way of restarting the game. If that scrum is not going anywhere, right, just because one's, one loses his bind or slips or whatever, then it's a penalty. When it when it's just a, like a simple mistake, it, the penalty after penalty after penalty being given on a on a an interpretation that one scrum is dominating the other most nine times out of ten one scrum is not really dominating the other yeah. and then and then come in and then you've got the referee going or oh, front rows come here you need to you need to uh, you need to butt your ideas up otherwise you're both going in the bin hold on a minute what about the other eight cunts behind me or the other seven cunts behind me what are they going is there is their problem as well so, you're telling me it's a which brings us to bristol well, so so you're right. Pens, pens, pens at the hit are a bit of a joke. And actually, you look at Exeter. Exeter have got the worst record for ball retention from scrums, but they've got the best record of winning penalties because they see it as a way of winning penalties. But they don't win those penalties by driving the teams backwards. They win it by trying to win that initial hit and getting the team to collapse. So yeah, you're right. If you change that to say, unless you're Moving forwards and dominant, what was previously a scrum penalty is now a free kick. They would play it completely differently. They would, and it would become a better means of restarting the game as opposed to teams using it as a weapon to get a penalty to kick to the corner. And, you know, which is which is basically a byproduct of the current laws. Anyway, talking about scrummaging, well said, Ben. Um, Doug, have you got anything else to talk about Northampton Exeter before we move on? Uh no, we're probably the fifth best team in the Premiership, which speaks to the uh, quality of the teams below us. It certainly That's does. About it, really. Um, I mean, I thought Northampton have improved almost immeasurably in the last six or eight weeks, and you know, who knows what next season they could be. Uh, they could be in for something, in for something fairly big. Um, but yes, we were talking about scrums, so let's talk a little bit about Leicester versus Bristol, which was. Quite an intriguing game in general. Um, another very puzzling refereeing performance, I thought, from um, from Ian Tempest, who him between him and Carl Dixon and the touch judges managed to pretty much balls up most decisions for both teams. The Wait, offside, hold the phone. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Shocked. Um, 
the the referee the uh, the offside line at at all times was almost non-existent for both teams. Um, it was a it was a penalty fest that had no rhyme or reason, which kind of led to this whole debacle at the end of the match when the clock's read. Now, you know, we should spend most of the time talking about the match, which was fairly, fairly innocuous. Bristol should have won. There were some lovely, some lovely plays, some lovely tries. Uh, Piatau, who seems to be leaving Bristol at the end of the season, Siali Piatau. Um, and after a Malin's break where the, uh, the, um, the offload off the floor appeared to be fairly forward, again, not picked up. But, this whole Bristol, uh, Borthwick, Lamb team manager debacle at the end. Doug? Yeah, look, I'm going to leave you to this one, guys, because I didn't see the game. But uh, obviously, I've seen all the furore on the Twitter about it. And you've probably seen my reply to all of the Leicester fans <laughs> that if they're asking or not. Yeah. You know, that shit happens game. in rugby matches. Yeah, Let's not, you know... I know there's no ang- there's no justice like angry mob justice, but you know your team was literally famous for cheating for decades and decades. So pipe down a little bit. You're still shit. You, you're eighth. Let's not celebrate being eighth. Well, no, it's sixth, right? You're sixth. Um, just just pipe. Just take it down a notch, like from a from a from a twelve to a to an eight. Yeah. So I think I think it's I think it's important to say at this juncture that the outcome of the whole situation was actually the right one. Are we agreed on that? Jonathan coming back onto the pitch in way of the laws was the right outcome. Because because as the penalty sorry, Phil, as the penalty was as the penalties were given, he sin binned um the replacement prop, or was it the hooker? Whichever whoever got Simbind, they needed to right. make a front row. So they needed to make the front row replacement. He went over and checked and said it was a um, tactical replacement at half time for John Ofoa, which meant that you know he could come back on as a front row replacement can can do. Um, and explain Tempest explained to the team manager and then subsequently Pat Lamb that. Um, if they if they didn't if 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 they didn't want the foa to come back on, which they could have quite easily done, then they would have been down to thirteen men, and it would have been in uncontested scrums with the Leicester putting on an uncontested scrum, which is obviously Bristol didn't want that. Which is why then when Pat Lamb piped up and said, "Oh, John Foe was injured," thinking that. You know, we could we could kind of maneuver something. He quickly changed his tune, and is it his play? What I want to ask, I guess, is it Pat Lamb's place to get involved at that point? Because it's the team manager that's that inputs the card and does the um, does the the substitutions. You know, let let's start there. What Pat, was Pat Lamb wrong to get involved at that point? What, how does it work hierarchically? Yeah. Surely Pat, yeah. Pat Lamb is is the team manager's boss and can therefore get involved. But but 
technically, I think you're right that the liaison should be between team manager and referee. But Tempest said that, um, didn't he? He insisted it yeah, came from his mouth. From but the team manager. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't think there's much point debating it because it's the first time it's come up and we probably don't really have an opinion on it. But I, I think going back to what you said a minute ago, Russ, like, it doesn't make that much sense in that situation to yellow card the prop. Because you're right, according to the laws, that, that a foe should come back on if fit. Well, what's the sense of that? Your your advantage for winning four or five scrum penalties down the line is that the guy goes off and it's as a replacement. So so as a replacement for the guy that's been folded in half five times in a row, you, get a, you bring a nice on the guy that's pop. better than him who's had a bit of a rest. All right, he might be, you know, have a knock and be... Be a bit stiff, but he started, so he's probably better. And he what? And in this case, certainly, he wasn't getting, you know, sm- not smashed about in the first hour or whatever it was. Like the the you know the the second choice guy was. So it's almost as if it'd be better that in in that situation where the props have been substituted off, you almost give the captain of the the team that's being that's going forward the choice take take whoever you want off. That, that's a good that's that's a good good question actually why not you know like in in cricket when you have a slow overrate and it's the captain's fault whereas you the, the batsman might be changing their gloves and the bowlers changing the fit like all that sort of stuff mm. you have a slow overrate, the captain gets fined what about then if you get that situation instead of replacing the prop you sim in the captain yeah, or you or you could just give the Leicester captain the option and he goes, right, I'll have Lua Tua off, please. Yeah. You know, he but yeah, your 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 choice would work well as well, unless the captain's the prop, then you've got the same. Yeah, problem. but then but, but you could you could still then legitimately, you know, yeah. Find a find um, a way around it. But yeah. I mean according to the laws that was the right outcome, but according to your eyes watching the game, it very much wasn't. Because oh. And and, yeah, and that, that that big delay probably cost Bristol because they were right on uh, sorry Leicester because they were really on top and and it gave the Leicester pack a, a long time to um, I'm getting it mixed up Bristol pack a long time to sort of regroup, regroup. and you know a bit a bit of a breather as well um, and you know Br- Bristol fans were sort of taking it as a sign of sort of divine inspiration or something it got a bit weird on twitter but um you know they were right up against it weren't they and yeah you know i think tempest could have you know he was close to a penalty try i would have thought go on phil he must he must have been um so yeah pat lamb knew what he wanted to get out of it and he was trying to pull a fast one and he kind of got caught, and that's the reason why Borthwick lost it and started calling him a liar. But for all of the the stuff that happened there, part of the reason Leicester lost it was because the touch judge allowed Urine to come straight in the side of the, the scrum in between the Leicester yeah. scrum half, uh, second rows and number eight, and take the ball out and then kick it out, which was absolutely bonkers. That action there should have been straight away a penalty try. As far as, as far as I can see, um, well, it but, should have been yeah. at least a penalty. The yeah, scrum yeah. wasn't really uh, going forward, so I don't know whether you could call it a penalty try. 
Well, just for well, it's just repeated penalties in the red zone. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it the timing worked out perfectly for Bristol in some ways, in that they knew full well eighty minutes was up, and they could bin bin off their worst tackler and get Sheedy off the pit rather than losing a a, a prop. But yeah. It's not the first time we've seen teams try to abuse regulations around front rows um, in the 80-plus minute. We had the the France-Wales a couple of years ago where a player went off injured. Oh, is he injured? Yeah, is it a head injury? Oh, yeah, 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 it must be a head injury because then we can get another prop come on. If they just remove the uh, the requirement for front rows to be trained positions, then it would be fine. So John Chaparro gets simbined and they've got to stick Harry Randall in the front row. How Watch about him get bent in the old stead? When, when you'd used all your subs, if someone got injured, you just went down to 14. Yeah. And it is then yeah, uncontested. Yeah. There's so, no, yeah. there's no, and how about we have six props on every bench. I'm but a mate. It's only, right. um, Can I just, just, one thing I'm going to say, I'm, I don't know if it's in the rules, but how many you're allowed seven or eight subs? Eight. What is it? it? Yeah. Seven? Eight. eight. Five, three, right? 23 matches. Five, three or yeah. six, two, yeah. Yeah. I'm amazed that nobody has thought to have three front rows on their subs bench and just playing for 25 minutes each. Oh, so. Six front row subs and two other subs. Yep. Six front row subs, a utility forward and a utility back. How about it? I thought you meant three full front rows on the bench. <laughs> I bench I was 20 like, minutes each. Good luck to your fourth choice prop when the winger goes off. <laughs> no, but you could have you could have literally six, uh, two hookers, two props. Uh, two hookers, four props, and then two utility players, right? What? You you could argue that you could stick with one hooker. You could say, well, yeah. we'll have we'll have one hooker on the bench, but we'll have four props, and then so then and then we'll have a a lock stroke back row, and we'll have two backs. Yeah, so Saints could have, and then they they usually you know they could have Courtney Laws on the bench. Yeah, Piers Francis on the bench, and then scrum up six props. Well, surely, surely you have Courtney Laws on the pitch, and you can do well, the same you know, job you, there. You, you can cover saying, whoever, back, whoever back goes off. Six, but yeah, six lock hybrid. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe that that's a way a way that teams may go. Who knows? I just think more than anything in this situation, Pat Lamb has always been or seemingly been revered for for the way he approaches the game, the way he talks about the game, the way he, you know the way he understands the game and for a lot of, for a lot of people i think they probably feel a little bit let down that they've had him on this sort of slight pedestal those those people should grow up yeah 100% i, I, I agree but those people exist yeah i mean those he was trying to come the fast one like every single rugby coach yeah. from and, from and premiership down to cornwall 2 would do and steve borthwick Calling him a liar, yeah, all right. He's calling him out on it, but you could, you could, you could argue that in the since if the roles were reversed, Steve Borthwick would have tried exactly the same thing. Steve Borthwick coached Saracens. Yeah, child, please. <laughs> child, please. Okay, 
there honestly, you go. if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And look, the reason that Alan Solomons doesn't talk like that is because his team get humped every week. <laughs> it's very easy to talk in platitudes and 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 you know talk about how you're living a dream and journey and all that fucking um, pseudo psychological enhancement bullshit when your team's pumping teams by 50 points every week. If you're Alan Solomons or Lee Blackett, it's a bit more difficult. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, you mentioned Lee Blackett there, um, Doug. Uh, what an incredible game at the Brentford Stadium on Saturday. Segway and everywhere. This is this is almost professional. Um talking of professionals, you had a, a you bumped into to Tim from the Egg Chasers who, who recognized your voice rather than recognizing your face. Yeah. What um just uh it's it's becoming a little bit of a circle jerk this, isn't it? <laughs> but just just a, a thoroughly bloody nice bloke and lost his bag as well. Um oh. Uh, yeah, just just a nice bloke. But I I think genuinely those guys would be really good fun to go for a beer with, um, well, and hopefully they'll come to the Mallover Invitational, and we can all sit down and have a beer together. But um, yeah, an amazing game. Uh, it seems to happen. There seems to have been quite a few swings around um, this year. I mean, I don't know whether it's just the nature of how rugby's being played at the moment, but. Um, Irish will want that one back for sure. Well, did anyone they, else watch it? I did, yeah. No. I mean, Irish absolutely pumped them into oblivion in that first half. I, I thought Tuisui was unbelievable. Similar similar to the way that Nor- Northampton dominated Exeter on Sunday, that first half was as dominant a one-team performance as I've seen in the Premiership all season. And then... Literally, just after half-time, Willis scores that sort of breakaway... Um, was it the break? Yeah, it was the breakaway try, wasn't it? Marcus Watson made the break and kind of ballsed up a, quite an easy scoring opportunity and the ball made its way wide for uh, Willis via Thomas Young uh, to dot down in the corner. And then after that, it just, like... not. London Irish, see, their heads just seem to fall off. They they lost control. They lost um, shape. And Wasps got, got the tails up. And if it wasn't for the fact that Umaga missed a couple of, of those, I mean, three tries in, in the first 15 minutes of the second half, uh, either side of an Adam Coleman Simbin in, um, the Wasp would have pretty much been out of sight. And, and it, it was a, a Tom Willis try in the last second that, that clinched it for them. But Jesus Christ, like it was unreal. The, the level of comeback from 33-10 to 39-36, they just absolutely blitzed him off the park. And yeah, it was such a, it seemed really poor game management from London Irish to to allow Wasps to get that swing of momentum. And once it started, it was like a tidal wave and they could not stop it. And like Marcus Watson didn't touch the ball in the first half. It literally, it Bassett scored, scored their only score. Um, and then second half, Watson turned into, he was like, well, like his brother. 
He was picking the ball up. He was running lines. He was he nearly scored a an absolute wonder try uh, in the corner that was ruled out for a foot in touch. Um, but for like a fifteen minute spell, Marcus Watson was like the best player on the pitch. It was it's really odd how one person can go through a spell in a match that just takes over everything. And it, it, it was very, it was very, very strange. Um, but not uh, London Irish just had no answer to it whatsoever. And I, well, one thing is for certain when that stadium is full, it's going to be hell of a place. It's going to be hell of a place to watch rugby, um, both in person and, and on the television, because it was, it was phenomenal. Um, and it looks, you know, it looks phenomenal. Doug mentioned the uh, the Heptima Heptima uh, yellow card where they the Healy and Delalia, who by the way is one of the most one eyed commentators out there. I mean, we've talked about Monia before. We we talked about Healy to a certain extent. Lawrence Delalio on Wasps games is incredible. Like. The amount of times he said, that's a try, that's a try, that's a try. And his Watson's uh, foot was clearly in touch. It's got to be a try. It's a try. It's a try for me. It's a try. It just, you know, come on, Lawrence. We can all see his foot in touch there. <laughs> turn, turn it in, son. You know, don't worry. Don't, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to confuse anybody. We know you used to play for Wasps. Um, but yeah, I mean, London Irish have, have had a very, very good season. And they'll they'll be back next season, no no doubt, um, and and challenging for hopefully for a um, for a, cha- a Champions Cup place. The only issue is they've got to go to Bristol on Saturday, and obviously Newcastle are travelling to Quinns, who who we now think might put out a uh, a slightly lesser team. Um, obviously Bath and Gloucester was called off Ben due to an outbreak of COVID in the Gloucester camp. Um, not that it really makes any difference to either side. It's damaged both sides of Champions Cup hopes now. Um, yeah. Bath were awarded, they were awarded four points, weren't they? But it was cut down as a, a nil-nil draw, which I find yeah. was well, a very strange outcome. Good, good win, really. Stopped our scrum falling to pieces in the last 20 minutes for another week. So, yeah. And, yeah, take that. And this week, Bath are um, at home to Northampton, which should be should be an interesting clash. Um, the only other game at the weekend was Newcastle at home to Worcester. Not really too much to note here, other than Doug and his replacing your front row after 25 minutes. Jonathan Thomas actually did that for Worcester after 25 minutes. After they were getting marmalized at every single mall and scrum and breakdown at, at Newcastle, so uh, he, he the interview afterwards, I watched a little bit of the, the highlights, and he's like, "Well, you got to do something to change the momentum," and we were we were getting killed, so that's what I thought the best thing to do was, and take all my front row off after twenty five minutes. So maybe your. Uh, your little premonition, Doug, might be might be coming true at some point where teams might have two replacement props on the bench instead of just the one set. Yeah, why not? Why not, indeed? Um, right. Uh, any other rugby-related stuff? Anything anybody else wants to, to talk about before we move on to any other business? 
Yeah. Um, have we heard about the goings on at Munster? No. So uh, it appears that is it Munster have. <laughs> no, 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 no. They've been um, they've been basing their post-match entertainment on on uh, Russ's historical Firegate incident. So, uh, they, yeah, they uh, had a, a bit of a fire pit post-game going. Um, and Mike Haley, CJ Stander, Dealende and Snayman have all ended up in hospital with burns. Um, and, yeah, yeah, exactly. Dealende and Snayman might miss out on the, uh, the Lions games. Wow. Yeah. That's, pro- that's proper burns, isn't it? That's yeah, Clyde Edwards. Yeah, Blair. yeah. That's like Simon Weston but, level burns. Was this like an official? <laughs> so was the, this an official party? Was it? Let's come from nowhere, isn't it? So, so all they all they've said is uh, following an accident over the weekend. The below player update has been issued by the Munster Rugby Medical Department. Mike Haley, CJ Standard, uh, Damien Dealandi, and RJ Snayman required treatment for superficial burns following a fire pit accident at the weekend. It's expected that Haley and Stander, who sustained burns hands, may return to training this week with availability for Friday night's game reviewed as the week progresses. Dale Endy and Snayman, who sustained more substantial burns to legs, hands and face, will not take part in their respective training and rehabilitation programmes. What the fuck happened there? So I, mean, I think we'll see... They tried to they tried to use some petrol to light the barbecue, um, and then when it went badly wrong, tried to drop kick it down the road. No, I don't I know. That would be class. I mean, we've all seen that that those short videos of people with fire pits and petrol cans and setting gardens and shit on fire. But like professional athletes, they were probably trying to make some biltong or something, and it mm. fire so you can, fire the rugby on fire. The, <laughs> you can guarantee the uh, the video will come out Probably in a few listening. months' time, like the Did... video of um, Alan Wynn Jones and uh, Jake Ball. I mean, leathering that's come out this. That that's happened at rugby clubs at all levels, up and down the land Forever. for time immemorial, isn't it? Yeah. Leicester and, were famous for it, weren't they? You know, the only good thing, but the only good thing about it was Jake Ball landing several decent shots on Alan Wynn Jones. He tuned him up, didn't he? Yeah, Jake Ball tuned him up. Yeah, I've I've got I've got Jake Ball taking that round ten eight easily, and he led him into it as well. You could see what Jake Ball was planning. It was lovely. I did like the fact that it was just Ken Owens that was sticking up for Alan Wynn Jones. Everyone else was like, yeah, just kind of let him have it. At least nobody tried to touch his testicles. <laughs> uh, Phil, that's that's really pleased me, that monster fire story. <laughs> really, Good. really has. Does um, it make you feel less big, of an idiot? No. Big, th- <laughs> big thank you to Duncan for sharing that. I... Yeah, I am absolutely delighted. We did have, and I meant to, I will just very quickly read some of this stuff out because we had some uh, some people get in touch. Um, so Adi S said, uh, Pat Lamb, an attempt to, to deliberately manipulate the laws for personal advantage, slowed the game to achieve an advantage. It's going to be a points deduction. Is it going to be a point deduction weighing the rugby? Um, what were our thoughts? 
we've uh, we've gone through that. Uh, do stay, do sales, stay in the new M5 hotel for the week, Phil. Yeah. Okay. As well. um, there's something from Pat Jackson which I'm going to chase on in a minute. Uh, Duncan Duncan Keane would Russ like to congratulate the Mallover f- Fancy Rugby Draft finalists and explain his decision to pick non-starting Sam Hill in the semi-final lineup? Uh, I read Sam Hill. Uh, it actually said Sam James. Duncan beat me in our Fancy Rugby Draft semi-final, uh, which I'm absolutely gutted about losing my crown in the Mallover Invitational. So uh, there'll be a new winner this year. It'll either be Franco or Duncan. Um, Ben, I mean, I'm assuming that you're not going to uh, you're going to be back for another fantasy rugby draft. It's not it's not really grabbed you this season, is it? Um, I lost the will to live with the website in the first two weeks, so yeah, it doesn't get much better. Just got to stick yeah. at it. But uh, we'll we'll try and we'll try and extend maybe extend the league next year. Um, Cornish incomer, what knots will PRL and the RFU tie themselves up in if England beat Saracens? Uh, I know it's unlikely, but hypothetically, at least. Ealing. Is that what I said? What did I say? No, you England. Said England. Oh, I thought I said Ealing. If Ealing beat Saris, it would be glorious to see. They would be gloriously complicated knots. Let's let's just be honest about it. Saracens will be in the Premiership next year, whether they win the Championship or not. Yeah, which they will. So, I mean, it doesn't really bear thinking about. Um Ben Bacon, how many uh, full teams would Northampton 14, based on the game they played yesterday, how many teams would they beat, Doug? None. They'd lose heartbreakingly to every one of them with the last play of the game. Love that. Yeah. Another one Another one from Ben Bacon. Which Prem player would make the best pirate and why? Gareth Archer. Uh, that's um, good. So Harry Williams. not just not not just because of the R, but uh Russ, did you play in the Jason Cater 40th no, birthday game? No, I didn't. Wasn't invited. No. So uh, well, he is a prick, but he invited me to play for his team, so I said yes. Um but two o'clock kickoff, twelve o'clock, we all met at local holiday resort, which has one of these fake standing wave things. Gareth Archer was still on there. We all left to go to the match at half past 12. Gareth Archer was still on there. Somebody phoned his missus at quarter to two and he was still on there. They literally could not get him off the water to come and play rugby. It's um, it's Jack Noel. He's even got the boat. Yeah, true. Uh, Frank, Frank Rigdon's won this one anyway because the answer is Johnny R. <laughs> um, well done. Uh, Matt... Uh, who's part of the FRD group? Is what your what is your favourite stretch of motorway and uh, services? Doug, one for you. Favourite stretch of motorway is difficult. Um, I like the M6 past Preston. Once you get past Preston, that's yeah. a lovely stretch of road. And and even all the way up up the M72, 74, whatever it is, just yeah. keep going nearly yeah. nearly as far also, as Glasgow. Also, a big fan of the A1M. Good road. Nice Scott's Corner. No, not that far north. Peterborough away. There's a lovely straight stretch of road between Stamford and Peterborough that I like. I'd, what about I'd, what about services? Gloucester. Oh, you're one of those oh. eco warriors. Get get. Grip. Yeah, it's a very it's a very um, it's a very uh. It's got artisan 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 bakeries and shit. In a Leicester, right. Leicester Forest East is it's my. It's like no, going to a farm it? shop. It's 
it's Gloucester or T-Bay. And Gloucester was based on T-Bay when they built it. T-Bay's got a nice view of the lake. Look, when you're wanking down the motorway at two o'clock in the morning and all you want is a Burger King, Leicester Forest East. Nice. When you're wanking down the motorway at two o'clock in the morning, just keep on trucking on until you get home. Don't stop. No, because when, when you've heard the double brrrr, <laughs> good old rumble strips braille driving i used to call that um what did you say braille driving <laughs> as long as you can hear the rumble strips you know you're on the road uh right okay premier in travel lodge ibis holiday in or ramada holiday uh, in yeah as a man with uh 75 million points and platinum and elite status within the ihg group i would say a holiday in uh, Linton Travel Tavern. This is so partridge. It's yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's deliberately so, Ben. Um, there, there, there's a question that Matt's asked. I think we deserve to give it some thought. Maybe come back next week with it or or another time. Which is one sportsman from around the world or in history, not from rugby, that would have been amazing at rugby. I think that's almost a punching chat question at some point. Yeah. Stone um, Cold Steve Austin hooker. Fair, okay. Um, I'm gonna take some time and answer that another time. Right, let's get into some any other business. Um, Ben, do you have anything outside of the world of rugby that you would like to share this evening? Um, just that the new Alan Partridge series has been really good, and a lot of people don't seem to like it, but I, I just think the last two, especially, were fantastic. Yeah. When when they were listing Anne's, that just cracked me up yeah Not, the they weren't Mo's though were they <laughs> the people who don't like it people who think too much about stuff do you because I, I always find the best the best way to li- to watch Partridge or listen to Partridge is just to not think or care about what other people are going to think about it and just enjoy it it's I've been... got to admit the um, I don't know if anyone recognised when they were doing the chemsex bit, who the guy was that he was, it was talking to. Angelos Epithelio, yeah. wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's married to, oh God, another female comedian. I can't remember what her name is. Um, anyway, that's kind Full of a story, bro. But yeah, but yeah <laughs> he was, he was brilliant. Yeah, that was, that was brilliant. And then the, and the end one on, uh, end of the series on Friday was utterly superb. Um, and I'd love to see, Partridge uh, and Jenny Gresham host an episode of The One Show, and I just think it would be incredible. Um, Phil, any other business? Uh, Only that tradesmen are really pissing me off when you book them to do something and they say they'll be there at a certain date and then they don't let you know that they're not going to turn up. They just come like three weeks later. Um, it's just really shit business and screws people around. So yeah, tradesmen be better. Doug. Yeah. If you're in a four ball on a golf course and there's a a solo player behind you, just let him through. Just let him through and don't be dicks. Also, if your golfing attire it's faded chinos from 1990s Marks and Spencer collections and a 
oh, what the, a cotton trader's polo. Don't moan at me because my shorts have got pockets in the legs. Yeah? Just fucking golf really annoys me sometimes. The elite golf wankers. Yeah, but it's not elite, is it? No, you, it's not. No. Some, some geezer who's retired rolls up to... Um, Rolls up to the golf club and his Jack Jaguar, you know, his P Reg Jaguar that he hasn't he bought with his retirement fund and hasn't hasn't bought a new car since and he's got eight hundred miles on the clock because all he does is drive back and forth to the golf club, pitches up in his egg stained jumper, and faded faded cords, gets out gets out of the car and he's he, with his wooden wooden clubs, and then moans at me for wearing pockets in his shorts. In my legs. Is he like, actually, did you actually get moaned at? To your no. Place? So when I first joined my club, and obviously it had been a long time since I'd actually been a member at a place, so I, like all my golf gear was like fairly old. So it's like I didn't really. You called me MC Hammer when we played because I still had the old <laughs> Tiger Woods trousers, um, and so I didn't have a load of golf gear. So I, I wore like some cargo shorts, like North Face cargo shorts. And then, like a week later, an email went out reminding members that they shouldn't be wearing shorts with their, with um, they must be tailored and not have any auxiliary pockets. <laughs> auxiliary pockets, I like it. <laughs> you know, and then I wouldn't mind, but the guy that I played with in my playing round for the course was wearing fucking Union Jack trousers. <laughs> like, so it's all right to look like a cunt, but if I want an extra pocket in my leg, I can't play golf. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's fucking ridiculous. No wonder yeah, kids don't, don't you... want to play the game. I think and there's a chap like over there well, wearing but... cargo shorts. Chap of about six. <laughs> chap of about 42. <laughs> it's just, it really annoys me. I went out for a round this morning and was constantly held up. These four blokes, you know, oh, well, we would let you through, but there's a four ball in front. Don't care. I was playing a 420-yard par four. They teed off, all three of them. One went right, far left. One went far right. One duffed it about 30 yards up the fairway. They then take two shots to get within 160 yards of the green, which they then wait for the green to clear. And you, you stand there going, why are they? And, I, and like they're still in my landing zone for my drive. So I can't even bomb one over the top of them now because they're waiting for the green to clear, which they're never going to reach. So you're still stuck on the tee. I've been there 15 minutes. Then you watch one duff his shot five yards up the fairway. One of them sends it into the fucking houses. And one of them, like, skulls one 50 yards. Honestly, all I, like, if, if there are any snipers out there, there might be, you never know. If there are any snipers out there that fancy coming to Harewood, there's plenty of cover. It's quite a woodland course. There's, you know, plenty of, um, like dead ground for you to hide in i'll give you 20 quid a body just come and take out the membership of Harewood downs clean them up they're too old honestly i've had enough fuck, fuck woodland golf is all i'm gonna say i um, really enjoyed doug resigning from his golf club here <laughs> <laughs> they are not, they're not gonna listen ben um old people old golf old people golfers yeah. are the scum of the earth i like it um, I want to talk very quickly about sort of council culture and cricket. Um, a young lad made a debut. I say young. He's probably 27, 28. Made a debut, made his debut for England uh, this weekend in a test match against New Zealand at Lords. And it was one of the more promising England debuts that I've seen 
from an England player in quite some time. Um, it just so happens on the, the day that he makes his debut, somebody has felt the need to dig up and release some tweets that he sent as an 18-year-old, uh, which must have been like right bang at the start of when Twitter was first invented. Like, it's like we all say stuff when we're 18, and by no means am I condoning what, what Ollie Robinson said, right, in his tweets. But he's 18. We've all said stuff. We've all typed stuff. We've like years and years and years ago. He's clearly changed. He's he's now an, an international cricketer. Why are people dragging stuff up from the past from eight, nine years ago when the lad was 18 and he didn't know what he was going to do and he didn't know what the, the consequences might be of these actions? And he hasn't like he hasn't killed anybody. He's he's not fucking done anything really bad. And now there's a chance that his international career could be over before it started. And not only just his international career, there's a chance that his club career could be over before, like, completely because of some things that he has said when he was when he was 18 years old. And I just think it's fucking bullshit. Why can this sort of stuff just not be left in the past? Like, he's not that person now. Like it was, it was a young and naive thing to do. Yes, wrap him over the knuckles. Yes, but today he's been suspended from all international cricket indefinitely, and I just think it's absolute bullshit. And you know what? If nobody had said it after it all came to light on the Wednesday or Thursday of last week, if nobody had said anything this morning after the test matches ended, I'd be willing to bet that everybody would have just forgotten about it and gone, yeah, all right, well, you know. It's fine. He's you know, he's been outed, or you know, he's it's been mentioned. He's apologised. It's water under the bridge. It's not that guy. You know, it was young and it was dumb. Let's all just move on. It's like the the fact that they've had to suspend him from international cricket. I just find it utterly, utterly baffling. Go, on, Phil. It, I I know for a fact that every single one of us has said things worse than that in the last 12 months, let alone when we were 18. Um, and we've and we've kind of picked our audience. And the problem is that people half a generation younger than us, they thought social media was the right place to put these kind of things. But it, it is absolutely farcical that it was the subject of about three hours on Radio 5 this morning. Um, the ECB have to suspend him and investigate it. They Politically, they can't do anything else. But I think the big piece that's missing here is the fact that he's been playing club cricket as a professional for however many years, eight, nine years. Um, he's been pulled up into the national squad and nobody has taken the time to go, before we do this, let's just have a look at your social media feed to make sure that anything that's potentially stupid is deleted. Um, and we've spoke about it before with, with rugby players. Somebody, there, there needs to be some responsibility at a, at a commercial or a corporate level for somebody to go, you know what, things these people might have said before they're under our employment might reflect badly on us. Why? So let's at least go and look, go and why, look mate? at them and delete. What, why? What does it matter? Because... What the fuck does it matter? If it, unless he said those things, like in in the recent past and means them in such a way that is derogatory and bad and and, and awful like 
what why why is it such a why does he have to do it? I, I don't understand. It's people well, just trying to, to stop to call something exactly back. like this happening. But but it's exactly the same with any of our jobs apart from me and Doug because we're self-employed. Um if somebody kicked up a massive stink, if it went on Cornwall Live that Ben Eustace has sent a load of tweets saying that all seagulls are homosexual or something um and it went up the chain they would it would reflect badly on his employer and they would have to do something about it even if it was done years before he was in that position doug you wanted to come in yeah i i think what's equally bad if not worse is the vindictiveness and callousness of the person that waited for ollie lawrence to get called up for england to then make the call to make someone trawl through eight years of social media posts to find some dirt on him. Yeah. Not yeah. when it was in the squad, when that he, is the just, day he made his debut. That is utterly, <clears throat> utterly abhorrent to go through someone's life back to when they were a child. And I look back to when I was 18 and I was a child and use that to vilify and ruin someone's career is the most callous thing and worthy of more derision than what I believe are just naive and childish mistakes made by a bloke who, by his own admission, nearly gave up professional cricket to get pissed with his mates. Yeah. He left, didn't he go from Sussex, uh, somewhere to Sussex? Yorkshire. Yorkshire. I I, I, I totally agree with Doug. Like, that was... That was a real dirty trick, that. And and it, but it's it's kind of a classic tabloid thing, isn't it? I mean, I I I sometimes think the timing of the um, news about Saracens the day of the World Cup final wasn't a coincidence either. Um, but I think I I work with a lot of eighteen, nineteen year olds, and they have a habit when they're amongst themselves, especially if there's a few like older people present of saying ridiculous things to try and get a rise or to try and get a joke. And probably back then, a, a 18 year old, judging by the tweets, perhaps not the brightest 18 year old, probably thought Twitter was just a chat amongst his mates. Um, and I do agree that some, he shouldn't really be played over the coals for something um, done 10 years ago, but also Bill's right. It would be beneficial if someone went through and got rid of stuff like that for his own sake as much as anything. Um, and to be honest, the ECB, I'm, I'm guessing they'll probably just give him a match ban or something like that, which at the end of the, end of the day, does the job. Isn't the, it does the job the and it's is, not the for, end of the world. For the people who are on that cancel culture bandwagon, it will never be enough until he's never allowed to play cricket again. It's pa- Pablo Matera all over again. Well, it's, a, it's a little bit like what we said with um, uh, on uh, Eddie's pod when we were talking about sort of something similar. You, you don't really get any credit in the bank anymore. Once, once, some, once something bad happens, that's it. That's, that's the end. You, you know, anything you did before that doesn't, uh, doesn't really count. And, you know, there's a few isolated cases where perhaps that's fair, but in most cases it, it's... You should take a balanced view of people, and the people the people that vilify the these sort of people, they like to think they're the ones that have never 
made mistakes or never done anything bad in their lives themselves. And ultimately, they're just not important enough to have what they'd say scrutinised. And that's and that's why they, they want to make it. He plays for Sussex, right? He does now, yeah. You know, let's go and ask Chris Jordan or um, Joffre Archer or um, the other fast bowler. What's his name? Um, the one that's always injured. 90 mile an hour guy. T20. Oh, Tim Armels. Yeah. Go and ask them if they think he's a racist. Because maybe he's shown a bit of personal growth over the last eight years. And he probably doesn't deserve this shit. And that's the point I was making. Like he was 18 years old, and whilst it isn't, a, whilst that's not condoning anything, like when you're 18, you're a fucking idiot. We've all been 18, and we were all fucking idiots, of no doubt, in one way, shape, or form, at one time or another. Some of us more than others, because I will put my hand up and say I don't think he's I directed wasn't... anything at any. No, he hasn't. No, he hasn't. No, he's just yeah. It was. Sort of... It was inflammatory rather than derogatory. Yeah, yeah, sort of daft comments. Exactly. So it was just it was just stupidity rather than hatred or anything of that nature. And that's and that's what makes this so fucking ridiculous. But you know, like I say, people people want this sort of stuff punished for no other reason than to make themselves feel better. Wouldn't surprise me if the Exeter Chiefs for Change weren't in there somewhere trying to get him banned. <laughs> like every time you see something, honestly, I swear to God, right? I saw, I saw something about Brandon and then somebody from Exeter Chiefs, uh, EC4C, uh, saying, Oh, at Exeter Chiefs, you should take a look at this. And it's just like, oh, fucking bore off. Like every, every time there is something to do with Brandon or misappropriation or whatever there's somebody from that group pipes up and wow that me sideways anyway that'll do for now uh, an hour and a half's worth of rugby ramble um we'll go we'll be back next week we'll know who the semi-final or where the semi-finals are being played certainly who the champions cup representatives who will be getting their asses handed at them by leinster and toulouse next season and uh yeah we'll take it from there Uh, We'll see you boys next week, hopefully, and uh, go well. Cheers, boys. An absolute pleasure, as always. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.